Coming up, blind priests, birthday treats, and spandex streaks. Plus, news, booze, and questions from yous on this freshly showered and shaved episode of Kiss the Goat. And this is Kiss the the Goat. goat. (laughs) We've got all kinds of stuff going on in this episode. Fast-paced, lightning fast. Well, I don't know about all that. The dust will never settle. We'll have a new edition of Satan in the News. We'll sell you the whole seat, but you'll only need the edge. And we'll be taking a detailed look at the 1977 devil movie classic, The Sentinel. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday! What are you on about? Is this is this not the Monster Truck Podcast? We don't do a Monster Truck Podcast. Since when? <laughs> Since ever! We've never done a Monster Truck Podcast. Oh, well, shit. Never mind then. We'll be back after this first break. Children's tickets, only $10! Yes, stop. 72 movies that shocked a nation and made an infamous list, the video nasties. Hi, I'm Duncan McLeish, and you can join me and my co-host, Andy Blockley. Hello, hello. As we chat about... The 72 films, reviewing them all from the video nasty list live on our podcast. Tell them about it, Andy. Okay, 1982, 20,000 films were seized in London alone because they were too nasty to be watched. Come and find out why. That's right. The show's called Doing the Nasty Podcast. You can find it exclusively on the Horrorphilia Network of Podcasts. Come and check us out. You may know him as John Cross from the podcast from the After Movie Diner, or you may not know him at all. But now you can know him as Miscellaneous Plumbing Fixtures with the release of his new album, Catch Up or Don't See If I Care. Available now on Bandcamp, iTunes, Amazon, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever music is found. A full 16 new folk, blues, and rock tracks from this bearded singer-songwriter. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and at aftermoviediner.com. For links to the album and to learn more, go to miscplumbingfixtures.blogspot.com or miscplumbingfixtures.bandcamp.com. Are you tired of the same old stuff Hollywood puts out week after week? You know, all those less than appealing remakes. 
those films with over-the-top CG and no storyline? Well, we don't have to take it anymore thanks to the 2015 B-Movie Celebration. Polyscope Media presents the 9th Annual B-Movie Celebration. In 2015, we're going to go back in time, back to 1985 to be exact. The 9th Annual B-Movie Celebration will feature the following films from this time period. Fright Night. Malibu Express. The Last Dragon. Invasion USA. Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins. Return of the Living Dead. Trencers. Reanimator. Morons from Space. The Stuff. Life Force. Defcon 4. Damnation Alley. Better Off Dead. Godzilla 1985. Along with those 80s classics, we're going to showcase The Blob from 1958 and Death Race 2000 from 1975. So pack those bags, recharge that flux capacitor, and join us for the 9th Annual B-Movie Celebration on August 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2015 at the Brown County Playhouse in Nashville, Indiana. For updated information on this event, bookmark the bmoviecelebration.com website using your favorite browser, and we promise to have you home back in time. Titles mentioned in this promo are subject to change without notice. The Badasses, Boobs, and Body Counts podcast is an official sponsor of the 9th Annual B-Movie Celebration. Welcome back to Kiss the Goat. It's time to stop what you're doing and give the devil a break. Satan in the News starts right now. Dateline, Cordova, Tennessee, which is in the greater Memphis area. A local parent is outraged, outraged, I tell you, because the brake lights on local school buses look like upside down stars. (laughs) Pentagrams, like the kind used in devil worship or 80s metal album covers. By Christ, enough is enough. (laughs) Well, the news media outlets have stopped releasing the woman's name, but they didn't take her name out of the early reports they had already published, so it's pretty friggin' easy to find out that her name is Robin Wilkins. Of course, they stopped using her name because she was getting death threats. (laughs) You don't get to spout weirdness like this and get to hide behind a curtain of anonymity. That is bullshit. In America, you can talk your talk, but you'd better be man or woman enough to back that shit up and own your crazy. She says, Anyone who fears a god, if not God and Jesus Christ, should be outraged. So it sounds like she's making that conspiratorial connection between federally funded schools and the government and the Illuminati and Satanism. You can't put a cross on there. You cannot put a pentagram on it. She says, continuing with, Would we allow a swastika, for instance, to be on the back of the bus? Well, it depends on the school, I guess. Uh, anyway, the school system has not made an official comment on Robin Wilkins' statement, which is probably a wise move on their part. Seriously. <laughs> it's a star. It's a shape. It means exactly what you think it means. 
any symbol, whether it's a five-pointed star, a six-pointed star, or a freaking crucifix, only has meaning if you expend the energy to imbue it with meaning. I don't believe there's any kind of horrible satanic plot to ferry your children safely from school to home, (laughs) nor have there been any reports of after-school black masses being performed at bus stops throughout the peaceful city of Cordova. No bus drivers wearing hooded cloaks. No old DSI tapes being played for the children on the way to class, which is a shame because Glenn Benton is a fucking artist. I fucking love DSI. (laughs) Seriously, if y'all want to be mad, be mad. That's your right. But if you're pissed off about the shape of a star, you may want to move out of Tennessee. (laughs) Uh, Have you seen our flag? You should really Google that shit. There's like three big stars right in the middle of it. I don't mean Alex Chilton. (laughs) Ah, yes. Tennessee, home of the volunteer Satanists. (laughs) If you live in the Cordova area and have any information about the brake lights of Beelzebub, please forward that information to us as soon as possible so that we may investigate further Drop us an email at thegoatofmadness at gmail.com. The truth is out there, and you can help us find it. Hear, hear. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's it for Satan in the News this time. We'll be back soon to talk about this episode's feature film, 1977's The Sentinel. You know, people in Cordova have stickers of Calvin taking a piss on the Dale Earnhardt fucking race car. Why is upside-down stars on the brake lights a big deal? I don't even know. Gun racks and dead deer and shit. (laughs) Dead deer and shit. (laughs) Looking for something different in your podcast library? Then why not check out the podcast Under the Stairs? I'm the host Duncan McLeish and joining me each week will be a special guest as we examine some classic old school horror favourites as well as some modern classics. That's not to say that we don't tackle some of the, let's say, more questionable entries into the horror genre. And if all that wasn't enough, we have a subset of shows called Baz V Horror where our horror novice, The Baz, tackles horror in all shapes and forms to see who will come out victorious. So what are you waiting for? The show can be found at podcastunderthestairs.wordpress.com and on Stitcher and iTunes. The Podcast Under the Stairs is a proud member of Legion Podcast Network. This is Duncan McLeish from Under the Stairs, signing off. Banana Laser Promo, take one. Hey guys, it's Wazell and Z here. Yeah, we're just uh, kicking back in the Laser Lounge right now, taking a break from uh, what we normally do to tell you all about our show, Banana Laser. Uh, we're just here for sick fucks like ourselves that love horror movie and just, yeah, fuck. The Banana Laser Podcast, it's, uh, everything. <laughs> 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 oh, why? And, um, you know, it's for sick fucks like ourselves. <laughs> so if you like salty commentary. <laughs> and skewed views. Foul mouth skewed views and look, uh, we're terrible at this. I'm fucked up too. I, I, we are I, I, terrible. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> I'll start over. All right, forget it. Fuck it. Uh, you can find Banana Laser at horophilia.com. <laughs>
Check us out on Facebook. Join our Facebook group. Follow us on Twitter, Bananawazers Show. Look us up on YouTube, Bananawazers, everywhere, iTunes, Stitcher Radio. Look us up so you can join us. My name is Mike. You may know me from the Evil Episodes podcast, where we talk about all that's good and bad on horror television. But I watch a lot of movies, too, and you can hear me and my panel of guests talk about these on the Not So Evil Episodes sidecast. My name is Doug. You may know me from the No Budget Nightmares podcast. Every month, we choose a theme that allows us to talk about some movies that don't always get the love or seething hatred they deserve. My name is Iris. You may know me from the Badasses, Boobs, and Body Counts podcast. Whether we're defending a movie we love or ripping apart a movie we hate, you can always expect some spirited and passionate discussion about movies on the Not So Eagle episode podcast. My name is X. You may know me from the Kiss the Goat podcast. Join us once a month for unpredictable, not safe for work discussion about some of the best and worst movies ever made. There's not often a fight, but sometimes there is. That's a Not So Evil episode side. Turning movies inside out for your listening pleasure. You can find us on the Horror Philly Network, the Legion Network, iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever fine podcasts are sold. It begins in a brownstone. There is somebody staring at me from that fifth floor window up there. He's a priest. He's kind of senile. He just sits by the window. He's blind. I'm here, Holy Father. I have come that you may shed your burden in peace. Allison Parker. Young. Beautiful. What happens to her will happen to no other human in this lifetime. Open up, open up. Surprise, 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 surprise. Now, everybody, listen. I want you to meet Allison Parker. She just moved into 2A. My dear Miss Parker, aside from the priest and now, of course, you, Nobody has lived in that building for three years. She went to a party with eight dead murderers. There is danger. God, my guardian, please help me. Through me, you go among people lost. And you were just subjected to the trailer for 1977's The Sentinel, a trailer which doesn't even begin to put across the utter bug-fuck madness of this movie, which is offensive on several levels and reprehensible on almost every other level. Which is not to say we hated it. Oh no. Oh hell no. But we'll get into all that in the last part of the show. <laughs> the Sentinel brings us full circle on a couple of things, strangely enough. Uh, it was based on a fairly successful novel written by Jeffrey Convitz, who also wrote the movie Silent Night, Bloody Night, which we covered on our holiday special. There's also a small yet crucial part in this film played by John Carradine. No actor has been in more films that we have covered on this show than John Carradine. It is at this point that I proclaim John Carradine, God rest his soul, to be the patron saint of Kiss the Goat. Does a show about devil movies get to have a patron saint? Uh, yeah. Especially if it's John fucking Carradine. <laughs> well, I can't really argue with that bit of logic. Saint John it is. 
Dominus Tobiscum, Ave Satani, Romane Ite Domum, so mote it be. Booyah. That's how we canonize right here on KTG. Now, let's get down to the serious <laughs> business of tearing this movie apart. The film starts in the pastoral hills of Italy, which is where Catholics come from. I thought they came from a lady's tummy. They do, and that lady is often an Italian lady. But there are monsignors and bishops and priests, oh my, and they're having one of those classic ecumenical meetings where all we learn is something is going to happen, and it's probably going to involve danger. So that's why the one priest says there will be danger? Precisely, because of all the danger. There is danger. Sounds dangerous. Well, it must be. The rest of the movie takes place in Brooklyn Heights. And it's in Brooklyn Heights that we meet our main character, a supermodel named Allison. Now, she's played by Christina Raines. She's got long black hair and that perfect weather girl overbite. She's apartment hunting with a friend who isn't her boyfriend. Now, her boyfriend, Michael, played by Chris Sarandon's evil mustache, is also looking for an apartment. <laughs> Now he's thinking that he and Allison are going to move in together, get married, and have a couple of baby mustaches. But Allison wants some time alone. She needs a little space. After all, she's only been out of the hospital a couple of years. The hospital? Yep. Allison has some mental issues. <laughs> <laughs> she's neurotic and triggered easily. Another run-of-the-mill high-maintenance supermodel trapped in a horrible world of parties and shampoo commercials. Boo fucking who. <laughs> Allison learns her father has passed away, and this is a trigger situation for her. In fact, it's at this point in the film that we get to see one of the best flashbacks ever filmed indeed so wow. allison was just a little catholic schoolgirl, which means they slapped a plaid skirt on christina reigns and didn't attempt to make her look younger at all and she's had a very good day at school she comes into the house skipping and laughing tra la 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 and she opens the door to her father's room so she can say hello Hello, Father. Oh, isn't it a wonderful day to be Catholic? What Allison sees scars her for life. Well, it's her own fucking fault. Don't kids knock anymore? I mean, come <laughs> on. So she walks in and sees her elderly father cavorting on his bed with two naked women. One of them thicker than the other. <laughs> There's been some kind of strange birthday threesome going on here because the women are still feeding Daddy his cake. And that is not a euphemism. They are literally shoving pieces of cake into his mouth. Allison is terrified by the sight of so much baked goodness, and she screams. And her father, embarrassed by his love of dense cakes and heavy women, gets up naked with his old flappy dong rolling around. And he slaps Allison across the face. And the women laugh and laugh. And her father tears the crucifix from around her neck and throws it on the floor. And yet still, the women laugh and laugh because it's weird what other people think is funny. <laughs> the scene is so much what the fuck. <laughs> so at this point, there really is only one thing 
for Allison to do. One way to process all of this information about her father, most of which is nutritional information, granted, <laughs> she runs to the bathroom and slashes her wrists open. Because she'd rather die than see all that buttercream. And that one might be a euphemism. Allison survived that suicide attempt, which is sort of obvious, and she's the main character of the film. And she finally finds an apartment she likes. Hooray! It's furnished, it's on a nice side of town, and it's only $400 a month. And that's in 1977 dollars. And I'm calling bullshit because she's in Brooklyn Heights. But it works for the movie, I guess. The only weird thing, at the outset anyway, is the blind priest who lives in an upstairs apartment. He seems to be staring out the window, but he's blind, so no one's really sure what he's looking at. Jeff Goldblum is in this film, playing a fashion photographer, and for some reason they overdub his voice. Now, the director of The Sentinel, Michael Winner, also worked with Goldblum in Death Wish. It's not like Winner didn't know what Goldblum's voice sounded like, so why the overdub? I have no idea. We just bring that up because, again, Allison is a supermodel and Goldblum is the photographer on at least two of the shoots that we see in the movie. But that's not now, that's later, because Allison is in the process of moving in and she meets her first neighbor. And he's played by Burgess Meredith, who went through an interesting career phase in the 70s where he played weird neighbors. Well, uh, this movie, Foul Play, Burnt Offerings, the list kind of goes on. When we first meet him, he barges into Allison's apartment and starts poking around. He's got a cat in his arms and a canary on his shoulder. And he leaves Allison a picture of himself in a frame weird dude now the next neighbors we meet are even more fun so allison walks into their apartment which is bullshit because this is brooklyn heights you don't fucking do that in brooklyn heights anyway the neighbors enter and their names are gerda and sandra (laughs) they're both wearing shiny leotards shiny shiny seriously Gerda has a thick Germanic accent, and Sandra doesn't really say much of anything, but she doesn't have to. Sandra is played by a young Beverly D'Angelo, and her way of saying hi is sitting on the couch with her legs spread right in front of Allison and rubbing out a loud one through the spandex. real too (laughs) her face is all flushed her eyes roll back in her head and she gives her fingers a bit of a sniff afterwards (laughs) i don't think she was method acting (laughs) and then gerda comes in and when allison asks what do you do for a living gerda says we fondle each other and she shoves her hand down sondra's front and starts tweaking her boob 
so at this point, Allison, who has a lot of issues in general, cannot stand to see such blatant lesbian activity, jumps out and runs out of the apartment, where she runs directly into Burgess Meredith, who walks her back to her place. And the next day, Allison is still reeling from the sight of one woman touching another woman. Or herself. And it's affecting her work. She's on a commercial set and she can't hit her marks. She can't set a wine bottle down so the label faces the camera. And then she faints and she falls into a window, sending glass everywhere, including into her own supple flesh. So she goes home and she tells Michael to stay away because she needs space and she can mend by herself. And her supple flesh. (laughs) So... Well, then creepy old Burgess Meredith comes in and completely ignoring the fact that she's pale and injured, he drags her upstairs to his place where he's having a birthday party for his cat. So much what the fuckery going on here. All the guests at the party are neighbors or friends of neighbors. Gerdy and Sandra are there. Uh, the Klotkin sisters who live downstairs are there. A couple of random oldsters, and they're all there to dance the polka, literally, and look at a cat wear a gold party hat. It's like the worst child's tea party ever. Uh huh. Which, understandably, causes Allison to have a nightmare later where she's at a party. Michael is there, and the men from the party are there, and so are the women, but they're all naked. <laughs> Allison's just dresses, the women, just, just the women, not exactly. the men. Chris Sarandon's wearing this fucking white linen suit like he just stepped off the plantation. (laughs) Well, Allison's dress gets ripped off, and she goes to try to cover herself by hiding on Michael, who's sitting in a wicker chair. And Beverly D'Angelo is stomping around naked. She has a huge pair of marching band cymbals. That is not a euphemism. (laughs) She is totally nude and playing percussion. There is absolutely no explanation for this. But when she wakes up, the chandelier over her bed is swinging and heavy footsteps are stomping their way across her ceiling. Allison tells Michael about the stomping and the swinging and he sends a private detective to look into the matter. Allison takes a slightly more rational approach and she contacts the leasing agent. Allison tells her about all the weird neighbors and the cat parties and the moistest spandex of 1977. And the leasing agent tells her, My dear Miss Parker, aside from the priest and now, of course, you, nobody has lived in that building for three years. And that is bullshit. This is Brooklyn Heights. It's true, though. The agent shows her all the other apartments, which are empty and filled with dilapidated furniture, all dusty and smelling like the 1950s. The agent also drops the news that the building itself is owned by the Catholic Diocese of New York. In fact, they are the ones who take care of the blind priest, making sure he's fed and taken care of. So this news, and the proof that she's practically alone in the building, doesn't stop Allison from doing her own investigating. Of course not. eh, When she hears more stomping upstairs, she grabs a knife and a flashlight, and she goes scooby-dooing, and the first thing she finds is the old man's cat in the hallway eating the canary. Must have been a late birthday gift. 
<laughs> and it's all gross and bloody. <laughs> Feathers everywhere. So the next thing she finds is her father. He's back from the dead. <laughs> and Moss is growing on his face and he's still naked. <laughs> so she stabs him and blood squirts all over her shirt. And then she cuts off his fucking nose and more blood shoots out. <laughs> as, if, as if that wasn't enough, she stabs him in the eye and part of his brain squeezes out of the eye socket. <laughs> I'm not sure how anatomically correct any of this is, but it's gross. So, of course, I'm happy. And Allison runs out into the street. She's screaming and she's falling down. She's got a knife in her hand and blood all over her, and a crowd of people rush to her aid and try to help her, which is bullshit. This is Brooklyn Heights. <laughs> now, because Allison is weird, the cops are on her <laughs> boyfriend's dick. Well, it seems that Michael has she a bit of a She is weird. Back. She is weird, right? <laughs> so, Michael's first wife died by jumping off the Brooklyn Bridge, but the cops have always suspected that she was pushed. So it looks like Michael, along with having a mysterious and devious mustache, might be a murderer. And the fact that the private detective Michael hired is found dead inside of a squashed car does not help his case any. And we mean fucking squashed, like fucking pancake, been to the junkyard and fucking puked back out squashed. Right. Anyway, a little bit of research on the people who used to live in the building reveals some interesting facts. For example, one of the people Allison saw at the cat's birthday party has been dead for years. In <laughs> fact, she was executed by the state for the murder of her husband. Now, this kind of information doesn't really set well with Allison. She's popping downers like they're Mentos, and she looks like bottled hell. So, of course, Allison decides to go to church for the first time in many years. Which makes sense, because that's where a lot of people go to find comfort when shit gets weird. Now, the priest there is the same one who's been taking care of the blind priest upstairs above Allison's apartment. So, she starts blubbering about coming back to the church and her suicide attempts and how she <coughs> stabbed her father, but he was already dead. Well, the priest says she can come back to the church, that's fine, and she has a holy purpose as she's doomed to eternal hell because of her suicide attempts. That's like saying you can join the health club, but you can't use the lockers or the pool. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> now, Michael, being a sleazy, sneaky boy, he gets the keys to the apartment building somehow. And he takes Allison to the apartment where she claims to have killed her already dead father. There's no blood on the carpet. In fact, she says the carpet is a different color. She begins thumbing through one of the books and sees nothing but Latin. Michael looks at the book and he sees English. So this is confusing and weird for both of them. So she transcribes the Latin phrases she is seeing in the book. So Michael goes to get the Latin translated by a professor. And it's some gibberish about no evil thing approaching or entering in. It's from Milton's Paradise Lost. Because, you know, if you can't be arsed to read the Bible, you should at least read Paradise Lost. Allison goes back to church, and there's a different priest there. The old priest, who was talking about her holy purpose, is gone. He never should have been there. It's not his church. <laughs> now, this makes Allison freak out. 
like somehow she confessed to the wrong priest, but really aren't priests kind of interchangeable when it comes to shit like that? I mean, you're not well, supposed to know who the priest is anyway, right? Yeah, but it doesn't matter. Allison just keeps getting sicker and sicker, and Michael is becoming more and more concerned. So instead of sending her to another doctor, he decides to do some research on the blind priest, because that makes sense. Uh-huh. But this involves hiring Will- William Hickey, who apparently has always been old, to do some lock picking, and they break into the New York diocese. Now, picking the locks is simple. It looks like it only takes a paper clip and a smile. <clears throat> Finding the file with all the information Michael needs is pretty simple, too. So I guess it was filed under, look here? I, I don't know. But Michael <laughs> instantly finds out the secret of the upstairs apartment. <laughs> Now, there have been priests and nuns living in that upstairs apartment since before they had cameras. Because some of the people, it's just drawings of them. Regardless, all of the people in the file had attempted suicide at least once in their lives. Then they joined the church and took on a holy name. And the day they entered the church, the person who was in the apartment before them died. I figure the apartment's rent controlled. And that's bullshit. This is Brooklyn Heights. Of course he learns Allison is next in line, and her name will be Sister Teresa, and she's due to take over for the blind priest the very next day. Now, this doesn't set well with Michael or his mustache. Both of them are bound and determined to hold on to their slam piece, and the answer, in his dumb little mind, is to kill the blind priest himself. So he takes Allison to a party, and he leaves her there. <laughs> So, Allison, who is too much of a nut job, which also might be a euphemism. <laughs> nut. She's, she's too much, too much so to be left alone. She starts screaming in the middle of the party and has to lie down. But when her friends go back to check on her, she's gone. She, too, has fled the apartment building. So, in the lobby of the building, Michael has ripped a wooden panel off the wall. And behind it is the famous quotation from Paradise Lost. Through me, you go into the city of grief. Through me, you go into the pain that is eternal. Through me, you go among people lost. Abandon hope. Now, the blind priest somehow has come down the stairs and he sneaks up behind Michael and he says, It's the gateway to hell. And that is St. John Carradine's only line in this movie. <laughs> so Michael follows him back upstairs and then strangles the shit out of him, or more accurately, strangles the shit out of a dummy wearing a dusty white wig that kind of looks like St. John, except for the fact that the dummy obviously weighed less than J- than St. John did. But there's someone else in the room, and that person picks up a heavy Catholic statue and brandishes it as a weapon. Like you do. What else do you do with a fucking St. Mary? I don't know. You know, I don't know. Now, when Allison walks in, she finds Michael's cufflinks in a pool of blood in the foyer. So she runs up to her room and cries out to God for help. But instead, she gets Michael 
who is not helpful at all. He starts babbling about the guardians to the gates of hell and about how she's the next one. The Latin you saw in that book was an ancient warning from the angel Gabriel to the angel Uriel. Michael, what are you talking about? The angel Uriel was stationed at the entrance to Eden to guard it from the devil. Since that time, a long line of guardians, sentinels, have guarded the world against evil. Right now, it's Father Howard upstairs. But tonight, you become the next sentinel. The people you saw here, the lesbians, all of them, are reincarnations. Devils. The only way they can stop the new sentinel is to make you commit suicide. That's what they were trying to do. You know where else we learned that information? From the movie poster. There must forever be a guardian at the gates of hell. She was young. She was beautiful. She was next. Well, <laughs> hot damn. If that ain't a fucking spoiler, I'll kiss your ass. <laughs> it's at this point that Michael reveals that he is dead, too. Oh, shit. I was killed by Monsignor Franchino for trying to strangle Father Halloran. I'm damned to eternal hell for my sins. For having Brenner murder my wife. I am one of the John. Oh, shit. <laughs> and apparently the Monsignor bopped him over the head with a statue of St. Mary, and he is a demon reincarnated to force Allison to not become the new Sentinel. And the makeup effects are fucking terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed to look like his skin is cracking, you know, veins popping. And here's the trick, kids. You put fishing line under some latex, attach it to an actor's face, and make sure there's a blood pack underneath it. And then you rip out the fishing line so it looks like the skin is just cracking spontaneously. Right. And we're simplifying, but that's the gist of it. You can literally see the fishing wire coming out of Chris Sarandon's face before and after it's pulled. So it's amateur night in the physical effects department. And suddenly Burgess Meredith is there too. And he's got with him a whole army of demons. Now, <laughs> not only are all the residents of the apartment building there, including Naked Gerd and Sandra, but there's a whole bevy of so-called demons. Now, these are like uh, midgets, little people with encephalitic skulls, people with all kinds of physical deformities looming and threatening Allison, all begging her to kill herself. They're fucking creepy, dude. I swear to God, there's a Balchanian well, in there. Well, here's the thing. They're real. These are actual people with real facial deformities. And when the movie came out, the director, Michael Winter, caught all kinds of shit for using these people in his movie because all of a sudden it was like a fucking... It was like a fucking freak show. Yeah, and, and, you know, side show. Yeah, and you can't use people like that. It's horrible. So, yeah, he caught tons of hell for that. Well, at this point, Burgess Meredith hands Allison a dagger. 
if she kills herself, and nobody will be left to guard the gates of hell, and all the demons can roam freely and go wherever the fuck they want. And that's bullshit, because this is Brooklyn Heights. But St. John Carradine and the Monsignor come in. Now, St. John's carrying a gigantic gold cross. A gigantic, big, like you expect Blake and the other leper ghosts from the fog to come sailing in and try to take it back. <laughs> All the demons try to stop him, but they can't stop a fragile old man who's already been beaten and strangled that evening and who is carrying a heavy thing. I don't know. It doesn't make sense, but it <laughs> but it happens because it has to happen. Whatever. <laughs> so Allison grabs the cross and seals her own fate. The demons back off and fade away, and this spiritual battle is over. Of course, the next time we see her, she's dressed as a nun, sitting in the same apartment, eyes clouded over, blind as a fucking bat, staring out the window at nothing. And that's The Sentinel, a movie where suicides go to hell. Lesbians go to hell. People with physical deformities go to hell. And I guess everybody involved with this movie can go to hell, too. We watched it. We're going to hell. You listen to this podcast. You're going to hell. Well, the hell with it. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we will finish dissecting this movie with America's favorite reality-based singing game, Three Questions. Back in a bit. Woohoo! Howdy, folks! Then you come to the right place. My name is Gary and I am your guide to Cinema Beef Podcast. Every episode we not only deliver film reviews, we also dismantle some of your favorite and most hated films. Sometimes for the better and sometimes for the worse. Hey, 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 you shut your face! If we want to hear you talk, I will shove my arm up your ass and work your mouth like a puppet! Alright, calm down, calm down. Every show I hope to have a new co-host, podcasters, and listeners alike. That's right, I'm talking to you people. I take all comers. You're slapped. That's not very nice. The only rules, well, let's ask the best cooler in the business. All you have to do is follow three simple rules. One, never underestimate your opponent. Expect the unexpected. Two, take it outside. Never start anything inside the bar unless it's absolutely necessary. Three, be nice. So join the insanity, and please, vent your frustrations. I'm available on TalkShoe, iTunes, and Stitcher Smart Radio. Remember, here at the Cinema Beef Podcast, if you got beef, I've got the grinder. Movies need only three things. Badasses. You tell me who you want done, and I'll do the hell out of it. A chick with drive who don't take no jive. Boobs. Do you know that the female breast, known to be the source of life since Eve, can be deadly weapons? And body counts. Body count. The mathematics of murder. 
and menace. The BBNBC podcast discusses lesser-known action, exploitation, and horror cult cinema. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher Smart Radio, and SoundCloud by searching for BBNBC podcast. You can also listen to each episode directly on the show's website at badassesboobsandbodycounts.com. Got the goddamn message? Let's go to work. It's 8 o'clock. Is it time to get the show on the screen or what? Do you enjoy watching films with friends? Do you like to consume vats of alcohol? It's the 40s and some bitches, baby. Yeah. Me? I like beer. If you like all that and none of those artsy-fartsy films... Does this mean we don't get to go to the Fellini Festival? Fuck the Fellini Festival? Then watch and listen to Two Drink Minimum Commentaries. Every Wednesday, myself and a rotating panel of the filthiest podcasters I can muster up give you our comments, observations, and sometimes we might actually talk about the film as we class up some of your favorite films, the only way we know how, as raunchy as we can. What's this movie, PG? Oh, yeah. This podcast sure is fucking... Not only do you get the audio, but the video that goes with it. Just listen to the shit that comes out of these filthy pirates. <laughs> you don't need to get an erection when your cock's full of rigor mortis. <laughs> fucking curb stomp a baby for a baconator right now. <laughs> I think the moral of the story is don't let Corky run Cerebro. Unforgivable. If you could stand all that, come and get your fill and your fix of Two Drink Minimum Commentaries. All the cool kids are doing it. Two Drink Minimum Commentaries is a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network. We made it back alive and with our eyesight intact. Well, it's a good thing, because it's time to play America's favorite game of thermonuclear war. Three questions! Three questions! Stop! Who would crush the bridge of death must answer me these questions, please. the other side, you see. Question number one. Is The Sentinel truly a devil movie? I don't know what the fuck The Sentinel is. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's supposed to be, I guess, but it really really seems more like a keep the boogeymen out of this apartment building movie. It's just... It's more like a don't get evicted movie. (laughs) (laughs) There's not a lick of scripture mentioned in it. It's all Paradise Lost, which is not scripture, but it's scripture if you don't know anything about scripture. It's like people who read the Reader's Digest condensed books and then try to tell you they read every, like, fucking Tom Clancy novel. Which is bullshit! Because this is Brooklyn Heights, and fucking Tom Clancy novels are 900 pages long. Oh. And the condensed book is like 90. So it's like, you didn't read shit, motherfucker. So this is this is a devil movie for people who don't know who the devil is. Yeah. Yeah. If somebody were to say, hey, give me a list of 10 devil movies, the Sentinel would not fucking come to mind. Nowhere near. No. Nope. That'd, be like, that'd be like saying... Hey, give me a list of movies that that intuitively and affectionately refer to um, the plight of slaves during the Civil War, and you tell them, "Hey, Song of the South is great." Fucking Uncle Remus and yeah, Brer Rabbit. no clue. Yeah, no idea. No, no idea. Yeah. 
All right. So question number two is, on a scale of one to six, how many horns high do you give the Sentinel? Four. Yeah, I would give it a four, totally. I think it's a solid four. It's it's entertaining as shit. It is. The script is batshit crazy, and there's not a whole lot of fucking logic to it. But seriously, the only faults that I have with it are... Well, first of all, the flashback scene that caused, you know, that we see where Allison <laughs> had her first suicide attempt. Because, Jesus fucking monkey Christ, if that's what it takes to send that girl to slashing up her arms, she's got much deeper seated issues. If I walked into my dad having birthday cake with two naked fat chicks, I'd be like, fuck yes. <laughs> Rock on, old man. I'll be in the kitchen with some whiskey when you're done. Let's let's do this. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, <laughs> but overall, yes, absolutely entertaining. I I've seen it a half dozen times, and I'll probably watch it twenty thousand more before I die. So oh, so mindless. It's so mm-hmm. fun. I just set just senseless. You, you really have to sit there and go, what happened in this movie? <laughs> And then once you figure it out in your own head and come to your own idea of what this movie is, you're like, that was okay. (laughs) Exactly. Finally, why should our listeners watch The Sentinel, or should they? Beverly D'Angelo. Dude, Beverly D'Angelo rubbing one out in the fucking leotard, and I swear to God that was a real orgasm. It was weird, and it was awkward and uncomfortable, but it was oddly hot, so... Oh my god, it's amazingly hot. It's like when you walk in, it's like when you're having a dinner party, and you have, like, your kind of hot friends over, and you accidentally walk in on one of them in the bathroom. Oh, sorry, didn't mean to see you peeing. You know, it's (laughs) one of those things where it's kind of like, I really didn't want to see that, but at the same time, that's going to be in my dreams for the next decade. And it's just a weird little mashup of shit that you don't expect. Like, fucking Christopher Walken is in this movie, and we didn't even talk about that, did we? No, we didn't. He plays one of the cops. Yeah! He's, yeah, he's, there's the two cops that are following Michael around, or his mustache, anyway. It's Eli Wallach, who's, again, always been old, just like St. John, but <laughs> Christopher Walken, who just kind of walks around behind Eli Wallach, and makes weird comments. Yeah, and you see him and you have to do a fucking double take because you're like, holy shit, that's Christopher Walken. What the hell is he doing? Well, and then there's William, and then there's William Hickey, and he's got hair. He's got brown <laughs> hair. William Hickey, if you don't know, um, old guy from Mouse Hunt who dies in the first five minutes. He was fucking great-grandpa in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Uh, he was in Preetzi's Honor. I mean, William Hickey's an amazing actor, but he's got his real hair, and it's brown, but he is still like 104 years old in this movie. Crazy. So, I know that after a hard day of staring out the window, protecting the world from demonic hordes, I really work up a particular thirst. I understand what you're getting at, Cootie Bug, and I think our listeners do too, so let's go ahead and spin that bottle. It's time for Drinking with the Devil, the drinking game where your experience with the movie meets your disdain for your own liver. Drink every time Allison (coughs) passes out. Jesus. Drink every time you wonder why she even talks to the neighbors to begin with. (laughs) 
Drink every time Chris Sarandon's mustache seems to move under its own power. Drink every time you see a hat you can't imagine anyone really used to wear. <laughs> and finally, our Grandmaster Challenge. Drink whenever you ask yourself, why doesn't she just move? <laughs> As always, please be aware that we do not condone or encourage alcohol abuse or underage drinking. However, they've, they've always, always worked, worked for, for us. us. <laughs> All right, check it out. We put out the call for letters last time, and the response was so overwhelming. I don't think we can get to all of them on this show. So if you don't get your question answered this time, tune to the next episode, and your answers will appear on that show. Having said that, it's probably no surprise that it's time for Ask the Goat, where we answer your questions and then you question our answers. Puss in your love letter. Straight from my heart, fucker. You know what a love letter is? It's a bullet from a fucking gun, fucker. You receive a love letter from me. You're fucked forever! Now, while Cootie is rummaging about in our malevolent mailbag... Rummage, 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 rummage. Let me remind you that you can always ask us a question, either at our Facebook group page, which is facebook.com slash groups slash kiss the goat, or at our evil email, which is the goat of madness at gmail.com. In fact, our first question tonight comes from our evil email, and it's from a new acolyte. Yay! Jason White wants to know, why is there always naked old people worshipping the devil in these cults? Why not younger, much younger folks? Am I missing something? Okay, that was something like three questions. My apologies. But really, why? <clears throat> Jason just wants to see some titties and are down to your knees. Oh, don't blame him. I don't either. My reasoning behind this is that old people have been around long enough to know that um, they've been being lied to by the church. And <laughs> they figure maybe Satan could be a little cooler. Got a better deal? Better deal, yeah. At oh. least they let you take your clothes off. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Try that at like a shaker meeting. That ain't happening. <laughs> It's been my observation that usually the younger titties are the sacrifice. So, you know, the oh, older yeah. people sacrificing the younger people in the hopes of maybe recapturing something that they lost over mm. the years. It's that whole, you know, promise of of something better, I guess. Yeah. So, race, yeah. Race with the Devil, dude. Yep. Go back and listen to the Race with the Devil episode. I think we may have covered that. <clears throat> All right. Joe Nance. Of course it's Joe. Joe Nance wants Joe. to know, in the movies you featured, it seems like people from all walks of life are potentially satanic. So just how many satanic minions of evil have you or Cootie run into? Have you encountered satanic sheriffs? Perhaps satanic doctors? How about a satanic mechanic? <laughs> Joe, not nearly as many as I would like tell you what joe all of the people that i believe are satanic minions of evil work in the public school system they're either teachers or they're administrators or they are on the board of education and these are the people who are going oh your kid's kind of weird he or she <laughs> did a weird thing uh she punched a kid on the playground uh 
He showed his dick to somebody in biology. And you know what? If you're going to show your dick to somebody, it better be in biology class. <laughs> that is the place to do it. So I don't see what's wrong. Because really, if you have biology and you don't know what a dick is, you're not doing it right. So, How did we veer off into biology and dicks? Because uh, we're talking about the satanic minions of evil who have woven their way into the public education system. Yeah, but we like nudity and dicks. Well, exactly. They We don't teach biology class, Cootie. We, <laughs> we have a podcast, for fuck's sake. If you want to do okay. a biology podcast, I'm cool with that. I mean, kiss the planaria? Okay. No, 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 no. All right. <laughs> it's nowhere near as fun. Alan McPherson strikes again and has a two-part question. Best goat in any movie ever. Also, best goat in a movie co-starring <coughs> The Amazing Creskin. First of all, I could not find a movie starring The Amazing Creskin. And don't get me wrong, I fucking love The Amazing Creskin. I used to watch that guy when I was a kid. His syndicated show would be on Saturday at 7 o'clock, right before In Search Of. So I would see him do all of his hypnotism stuff and, hey, let's get 40 people down here on stage and make the table dance. So I know who Creskin is, and I, I, I love the dude, but never did see him with a goat. Now, as far as favorite goat... Um, I was talking about this with Cootie earlier, and I guess we're going to have to go with the sound of music. Lady, oh lady, oh lady, hoo. Into the circle walks a lonely goat herd. Lady, oh lady, oh lady, oh Slash it, collect the blood in a chalice. Lady, oh lady, oh lady. See what you've done, Alan. God damn it. <laughs> That was our Easter movie. Now it's fucked. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Duncan, my brother Duncan McLean. Duncan is a two-part question, but it's a two-part Scottish question, so it's cool. Fuck yeah. Duncan asks, can you think of a movie you loved but didn't like the choice of lead actor? Who would you replace he or she with to make it better and why? Wow. Told you, man, the questions on this episode are, they're, they're a bitch. They're hard. I think I totally just, like, skimmed over this one. Didn't even think about it, because I suck. Um, you know, <laughs> honestly, the Sentinel, I would have replaced <laughs> the lead actress, because she got on my fucking nerves. She was seriously the weakest link in that whole movie. She is. She's terrible. She is. God, she's, she's like, awful. she sounds like, um, like, fucking Sally from, um... Oh, fuck, we just talked about it. The 70s cop show that I like with, uh, what's his face? McMillan and Wife. She sounds McMillan like Susan Wife. St. James. She yes, does. she sounds like Sally from McMillan and Wife, but she's not nearly as smart and not nearly as believable. Do, so, um, do you love McMillan yeah. and Wife? <laughs> do what? <laughs> do you love McMillan and Wife? That's one of my favorite shows of all time. Yeah, it's like Brady Bunch, only sexy. Yeah. Okay, here's my answer, and it's going to be controversial, I hope, eh. just so it boosts the ratings. Here's what I would do. I would replace Linda Blair in The Exorcist. What? With Kim Richards. Who the fuck is Kim Richards? Okay, Kim Richards is the little girl from the Escape to Witch Mountain movies. 
She's also the one who got shot in the throat while going back to get a different ice cream and assault on Precinct 13. Cute little blonde girl, worked for Disney for years. And that's the thing. She was a cute little blonde girl. She was so, so white. Just, you could just put fucking mayonnaise on her she was so white just wonder bread on two legs <laughs> and so to have her just kind of screaming your mother sucks cocks in hell that would have been even better than linda blair because linda blair and the exorcist you know you can kind of see she's hitting puberty she's got some she's got some buds going kim yeah. richards kim, let me finish kim richards flat as a fucking pancake so to have her be like, fuck me, Jesus, that would have been even more terrifying than Linda Blair. So yes, Kim Richards instead of Linda Blair and The Exorcist, that's my choice. Wow. All right, then. <laughs> so, whoo, moving on. Um, here's another one from Joe Nance. Hi, Joe. And it's a technical question. <laughs> he says, in the last episode of Kiss the Goat, you let it slip that you and Cootie are not in the same room while recording the episodes. Can you give us a brief description of your recording setup? Do you prefer headset-mounted microphones or freestanding mics? Can you not see one another during the recording? And is this why you guys never get the timing quite right when saying kiss the goat? First of all, I have to go outside and shoo the honeybees off of the honeycomb in order to gather enough wax to make the wax cylinder that I <laughs> use to record our voices on. Um, the first thing we did was a simple recording of Mary Had a Little Lamb. It seemed to work, and so we've been using that for the podcast ever since. <clears throat> no, Joe, the truth is we are poor, and we have kind of a janky setup, so we go with what works. Um, I am recording on my Samsung Galaxy S4, which I love. I'm sorry, it's an S5. <laughs> anyway, I love my phone. And, and I have I, a pair and of I'm, earbuds. And I'm recording on an old HP PowerBook um, with a pair of headset mics that we bought for 10 bucks on clearance at Walmart. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> She's in our bedroom. I'm in the living room. No, I can't see her while we say kiss the goat. But let's be honest. At this point, we're like 16 episodes in. Would you really want us to get it right? We keep doing it on purpose because we think it's kind of funny. Well, it seems like it would just kind of blow the mystique if we were, like, perfectly synced on everything. That's just, that's not fun. <clears throat> anyway, yeah, that's how it is. I'm in the living room. She's in the bedroom. Mama's in the graveyard. Daddy's in the pen. <laughs> Here's a difficult question from James Peter Cox, in which I believe he's trying to test our faith because he writes... A mega expensive theater production of Evil Speak the Musical, starring <laughs> Clint Howard, opens near you for one night only. Problem is, the only way of seeing this production is by signing away your soul to the devil, him or herself, in an unbreakable contract beforehand. What do you do? Well, I've already done that. No shit, right? Yeah. I think we can do better than tickets to a show. Yeah. Not to say that I wouldn't love to see an Evil Speak musical, because <laughs> that would be fucking fantastic. <laughs> I mean, the soundtrack album itself would be worth its weight in gold. 
Fuck yeah. Don't hurt my puppy. I'll feed these pigs. And the bad thing is, if we give you like two more hours to work on it, I'll have it done. I will have... Because that's how we roll. I'll have people speak the musical done, songs and all. That'll be, and it'll be beautiful. You guys, I love our acolytes. Jesus. I do too. They're so great. All right. So our final question this time around comes Esteban, from Mike Stewart. why do you vex me? See what you've done? <laughs> what you've done? <laughs> anyway, Mike Stewart asks, if you were given the choice of losing your eyesight or your hearing, which would it be? Think long and hard, he says, because this question is a double-edged sword. Now, this bothers me, because this makes me think that Mike Stewart knows where we live, and he's, like, waiting outside in a van with, like, a fucking long, sharp, pointy thing. He's like... I can either poke out their Pick eyes one. or I can gouge out their eardrums. It's one of the two. <clears throat> Just wait till they fall asleep. Um, I, oh, fuck, dude. I would rather be blind. And I would rather be blind because of a couple of things. I'd rather be blind because um, all the movies that I really love, I have memorized and I could listen to them and still see the scenes. That's one. The second thing is... Um, if I lost my hearing, I couldn't hear Cootie laugh, and that would make me the saddest boy on the face of the earth. I, I, I need to hear that. So even if I can't see what she looks like, I've, I've, I've memorized her face and her body, and I know that, but I need, I need to hear her laugh, or else I, I as a human being, am diminished. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd rather be... Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd rather be blind than deaf because those are things that I need to hear. Plus, I like a lot of music, too. And I can get fucking speech recognition software that lets me write. So I'm cool with that. But, yeah, that's 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 my honest choice. I'd rather be blind than deaf just so I can hear my wife laugh. Oh, Well, I think if you're going to be blind, then... I would have to be deaf so I can continue making art and you can learn how to do sign language. So you could like do, you could sign the movies. <laughs> well, we have closed captioning. <laughs> <coughs> we would have closed captioning. Plus you wouldn't hear me fart when I got in bed. So that in itself would be fantastic because good Lord, I and I could still I could still read your writing and That's edit true. it for you. So yes. it would make it would be like the best sitcom ever. You it would. would. Be, we would be like this weird symbiotic kind of hearing, seeing, not farting unit, um, and that would be okay. I'm for it. Yeah. So we're well. I'm not for it. <laughs> I'm not saying make that happen. I'm just saying if it did, that's how we would work it. <laughs> anyway, we will get to the rest of your questions next time around, and maybe more if y'all keep sending them in like you have. It, it it's fun. It really is fun for us. Please don't stop writing letters just because you have to wait for the answers a little while. We'll get to them all. I promise. And if you don't want to write a letter, that's fine. 
how about you write a review instead? Because we would love a nice five-star review from some of you lovely people on iTunes. It increases our visibility and brings more friends into the group. You want more friends, don't you? Especially ones with nice skin that you could turn into a coat. Now, we may not have coats for sale on our website, but we do have some other things you might enjoy. Flasks and baby clothes. Now, there's two tastes that taste great together. Remember, any proceeds we receive from website sales go directly to us to pay our bills and keep us bathed in the life-giving fluids of alcohol. Mm-hmm. That's kissthegoat.weebly.com, and you can find all of our wonderful creations under the Wear the Goat tab. Maybe we could license Daniel Bryan's face for some shirts for us. <laughs> Goat boy! Goat boy! As always, thanks to Jason, who is not a goat boy, as far as we know, uh, and the Horophilia Network for giving our weird little show a place to live and grow and thrive and have our first crush and try pot for the first time and come home late and stay in our room listening to loud music and reading Sylvia Plath until we eventually get pregnant in our sophomore year of high school, bringing shame to our family name until we at least get our GED. Uh, anyway, thanks, Jason. You've destroyed us. Thanks, Jason. Hey, and as always, thanks to our listeners for listening. That's it? Well, the listeners, that's what they do. They listen. Yeah, but you're just going to say thank you and that's it? No big, long, convoluted story? Do you want one? Think, think about this. Think about it. No. Because I'll be happy to make one up. We can no, no. We can go Honestly. There. I think we're good. That's okay. Well, so until next time, dear acolytes, my name is X. And I'm Cootie. Hail Hail Satan. Satan! (laughs) We made it back alive and with our ins- with, with, god damn it, five, four, three, Woohoo! We made it back alive and with our eyesight. <coughs> God damn it! Do it again! Okay, hang on. <coughs> Easy now. Fucking hell. Simmer down, cowboy. Woo! <laughs>